Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Hello and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. Uh, and for those of you who are regular listeners, you can probably tell I'm not Soyini. I'm Keith McNulty. <clears throat> I uh, have the pleasure of serving as your guest host this morning. I was a guest on the show earlier this year, and in fact, Soyini Koch is our featured guest today. Uh, listeners have been asking to hear more about her, so today I'm pleased to put her on the hot seat. Uh, so welcome, Soyini. Hi. <laughs> it's funny to be a guest on my own show. <laughs> it's nice to be here again, and thanks for having me. So I think we always start with the question, what are the trends in your industry or your area of expertise that you think every CEO should know about? Well, first of all, thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest host, Keith. I really, really appreciate it. Um, and a number of listeners have been asking me about myself and my expertise and why I'm doing the show. And so I wanted to take the opportunity to share um, a, a couple uh, ideas and trends and things like that. And then also, you know, eat my own chili, so to speak. Uh, and so for me, I'm a, I'm a strategist and I work with uh, medium sized businesses, typically five million to a hundred million dollars in revenue, um, at the stage before they've gotten institutional management to, uh, to, to do strategic planning. And, you know, there's a question, as you know, as a strategist, Keith, what, what does that really mean? Uh, what does strategic planning mean? What's the value of it? And one thing that I think is important for an, CEOs in this middle market, middle, middle-sized CEOs to recognize is in any given room that I walk into, um, when I'm doing delivering talks, I'll ask how many of the CEOs actually have a documented strategy um, and have thought it through. And in any given room, what I've found is between 30 to 60% of the room actually hasn't taken the time to do a strategy. And I think that that's both good news and bad news. Um, the good news is for CEOs who are listening, um, you're not alone. Uh, and either they, you, you don't need to feel as though something is wrong. Um, uh, that's the, the good news. The bad news is, of course, by not actually taking the time to do a strategy, you, they're losing out on the benefits. And in our, in my own company's research, one of the things that we found, uh, is, um, companies that do, do a strategic plan typically have both increased revenue and increased profit. And, um, Increased size, like increased scale is directly correlated with being more profitable. So if companies, companies that are, are bigger tend to be more profitable because they're at scale. And I don't know that that's, you know, big news, but it's, it's intuitive, right? Cause once you're a little bit bigger, you can begin to develop some economies associated with costs and things like that. So the first trend is, you know, somewhere on the order of a third to most CEOs don't actually have a strategic plan. Um, the, the second trend that I think is important, um, that I'm seeing, uh, is that, is this movement away from long form, uh, long form strategic planning. So you, unless a company is like an enterprise size company, like $500 million, really, really big, most mid-sized companies don't have the bandwidth to invest in a long, you know, two or three month 
strategic planning cycle. So there's this evolution towards doing shorter, more iterative strategic planning exercises versus, you know, creating a long form um, strategic plan on an annual basis. And you can think about this, I would put it, uh, make it an analogy to what happened, has happened with software development. So 10 years ago, 15 years ago, software developers would go into a room and they would spend months and months and months developing a piece of software. And what they've done is they've moved now toward to agile software development, where the, the process is iterative and it's much, much faster. And I think um, for most companies, the strategic planning exercise is moving in that direction, where it's much faster, it's much iterative. And I've heard one CEO say a number of times that what used to be happening on an annual basis in terms of strategic planning is now happening quarterly. Great. Um, great answers. And I'm curious if you can maybe elaborate a little bit more on the, the correlation between better performance, better success, greater revenues, greater profits, and doing a strategic planning cycle. You said you had done some research or looked at some companies and the ones that do the planning actually perform better. Can you maybe elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. Um, so I think that there, there are two uh metrics that I've seen in the in the research that we've done um, that really point to the bottom line benefits of doing doing a good strategy. Companies that have a strategic plan tend to be about 12% more profitable, um, which depending on companies' margins, that could be significant in terms of revenue. You know, if a company is a, you know, has a 10% um, margin, 12% more revenue is fairly significant, right? Uh, it, and then the other benefit is, is faster and um, more efficient scaling. So they're going to be able to grow more quickly um, and they're going to grow uh, with less investment. And, and it's intuitive because they're going to basically know how to get where they're going much more directly and going to waste less money and less time. I was having coffee with an, uh, another person who works in strategic planning and uh, the comment or the observation was most managers, most uh, leaders find it harder to think strategically and most people and leaders tend to default to tactical types of thinking. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that um, so many of us in business are crisis driven um, and very much and in many cases necessarily so focused on what's right up in front of us. Um, the client issue that's right in front of us, the big opportunity, the big deal that we're trying to close or managing our salespeople or, you know, that next big thing. Uh, and it takes a fair amount of discipline. And I think in the interview that we originally did, um, either you or, or the other guest, Scott Peters, said that it's a mindset. And I think much like people who choose to get up every day at five or six o'clock in the morning and trudge through the rain or the cold or whatever and get themselves to the gym and do the workout and do it every day, it's something that takes a, a high level of commitment. Um, and especially for many of, of, you know, my clients or people in the middle market, they may have gotten to where they are 
without doing strategic planning. And so one challenge that I'll often get is, you know, I don't have to do a strategic plan. I built this business. I wrote a couple things down on a napkin. I sold, you know, sold a couple, three or four, you know, really big, big deals. And, you know, now I have a $10 million company. What do I need a strategic plan for? You know, and uh, I think um, for those who have grown their companies without that planning mindset, it's very difficult to convert them afterwards. And in a lot of cases, it's just the founders or the CEO or maybe, you know, two people who are involved in the strategy up front. But when, once they reach a certain critical mass, as you're saying, um, <clears throat> it takes a mindset shift and a greater level of discipline. So how do you find the conversations tend to evolve when you're explaining to leaders that the, um, the benefits, the performance is going to be there if you start changing the way you're thinking, taking a more strategic view um, if some people embrace it, some people, uh, it takes a, takes a longer time or some you know, people resist it. I, I've given up on that. <laughs> Quite <laughs> frankly, I have. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, for many business owners, you know, it takes some sort of, a um, event, uh, and it takes an event, um, and usually not necessarily a positive event, uh, you know, and, and then, you know, they find Jesus, so to speak. So I have wait, I've, I've kind of moved towards working with the people who have been saved already, you know, than <laughs> trying to convert people. Uh, I just find that that's much more efficient and a better use of my time because people who don't have the planning, planning mindset, it's, it's kind of a waste of time to try to com- convince them that it's going to be beneficial to them. Right, right. And how did you, um, work your way into this program, CEO exclusive from the strategic planning, strategic advisory work that you've done with your company. It's Anona Enterprises, right? Yeah. Thank you for that. It's a, so a, probably within a couple year, like a year or two, I've had the business since um, 2004, within a year or two, you know, you need to publish, you need to write, you need to blog, you need to do this, that, or the other, you know, in order to establish myself as a thought leader. This is the advice that I've been given um, by every single marketing expert, marketer, social media, et cetera, et cetera, person who has advised me or looked at my business. And, um, and it wasn't unknown to me that pretty much anybody who's in professional services, if you want to grow your business, then it's important to begin to establish yourself as a leader and to begin to showcase your expertise in some kind of, in, in some, some meaningful way. Challenge that I faced is that I've just found there's a lot of clutter. And even in 2004, um, I was, I, I thought that there was a lot of proliferation of content that not, wasn't necessarily providing value. Uh, and I just didn't want to put the time and the effort. And I took a, undertook a very unsuccessful marketing effort in 2007. Um, and I just was unwilling, completely unwilling to put time and effort into developing content that I didn't think people would enjoy or read or consume. Like I just, I'm just not willing to do it. So I waited and I, in 2008, after that um, unsuccessful marketing effort, I went back 
and started to do uh, what a good strategist is supposed to do, which is to do some research to understand exactly what the market wants. And I spoke to um, referral sources and CEOs in my target market and asked them, not what do they um, subscribe to, but what do they actually read and enjoy? What do they actually consume as, as media or as content? And I found that there were four things. First thing is that um, it has to have some market intelligence. So information about the market um, is really important to CEOs. The, the second is that it's funny. Um, so all those dancing cats and dogs that nobody will admit video cat videos and dog videos that nobody will admit to, um, to watching, but somehow get 40, 50 million views, which means that it's not one person watching them. Um, yes, you know, people do grumpy cat. (laughs) Exactly. You know, no, no CEO would admit to watching Grumpy Cat, but the truth <laughs> of the matter is, is that, you know, get them alone. They'll admit, yes, I, I watched the Grumpy Cat video. Uh, the, the third is stuff that's inspiring. So, uh, they'll get, you know, um, for people who are religious, they'll get some sort of, you know, religious quote of the day, or they'll get, you know, an inspiring, uplifting kind of quote of the day or whatever. Uh, And then the fourth is that it's information that is proprietary or that they can't get anywhere else. Um, And that will drive them to consume the content because they can't get it and get the information elsewhere. Uh, And so I, in 2008, 2009, I, um, you know, did that, that research and I just kind of put it off to the side because I, couldn't find a medium or a venue that I thought would allow me to hit all four. Right. I was like, okay, if this is the, if this is what people are, are want to consume. And in truth, I probably wouldn't need to hit all four in order to have, cause you know, in, in many cases, people are, or my target market, I think will consume content that may, may be particularly strong in any one of those four attributes. You know, something that's really, really, really funny, like Grumpy Cat, you know, people will consume it even if it doesn't necessarily provide them market intelligence or um, it's not inspiring, you know, or it's not something that they can't get anywhere else. But I was really thinking that if I wanted a home run, I would have to hit all four, come close to hitting all four. Uh, And so I just put that on ice. And then uh, last year, I was invited on to... Business Radio X by a colleague in the National Speakers Association. And I think uh, Stone, who is our producer for the day, um, would agree. And I don't know uh, in their private conversations whether or not it was Lee or Stone who um, said that they thought that I would make a good host. I should probably find out from them which one it was who pointed me and said, you know, I think, I think, you know, we're going to go after her, but they kept inviting me back. And they, you know, the, without, within the first show, they were like, you yeah, have you ever considered doing your own show? And I was like, radio, I'm not, a, I'm a, I'm a consultant, you know, like I don't do radio, you know? Um, but one of the things that, uh, that struck out for me was how um, differentiating it would be. You know, there are not a lot of people that are doing this um, and not a lot of people from what my social media and, you know, my continued research um, indicates, not a lot of people who are doing it well. And uh, yeah, well, great. And <clears throat> so a lot of, a lot of topics to expand on there, but 
one of the things that you and I talked about um, a little bit earlier was in, in terms of um, the content, the show reaching the audience, the target audience, CEOs, their trusted advisors, business leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> have you found, uh, you know, podcasts to be the, the right vehicle? Or, I mean, that's sort of the current, um, I, I suppose, consumption uh, format for the audience? Yeah, and I think that it's a great format. I think it's a great format because it's so mobile. It's so incredibly mobile, and uh, I think even more so than video. Uh, so, I mean, one could argue that this this could make a uh, could go to could migrate to a video format. I don't know that that's necessarily necessary. I mean, my goal is to start reaching people in their cars um, because. P- you know, CEOs have so much drive time in many cases and so much travel time. And so once I develop my tribe and develop the following that I want, I think that it's going to be much easier to have them consume the content by audio rather than video or some other medium. And, you know, that I, I could also be wrong because if you look at the, the way my show works, I also do a follow-up article after the show. Um, so for people who don't get a chance to listen to the show, we're kind of distilling the content down into some key, key conclusions, key tips and, and turning it into a, um, an article. And in truth, the article is probably driving more traffic than the audio itself. Um, so I think it could go either way. Um, but the article sits on top of the show. So, you know. But regardless of show or follow-on article, it's a, a way to generate quality content that falls into the four categories you yeah. talked about where people are actually really interested. Yeah, the show isn't as funny as I'd like, to be honest. Okay, okay. <laughs> we'll work on that. Yeah, the show isn't as funny as I'd like, you know, but um, I'm not a humorist, you know, by by nature. Um, I like to think that I have a good sense of humor sometimes, but I, yeah, it's it's di- being funny is difficult for me. It's funny you say that, and as you describe the, you know, weaving in the funny into all of the other sort of important topics, what comes to mind besides just Grumpy Cat is the the current uh, GE commercials where they're they're featuring the the young man who's a new developer for GE, and he's telling people about how great it is. And the one example is, you know, he's having lunch or something with a few other friends, and the other guy's talking about how he got a job as a developer doing these little doodles of uh, animals with uh, animation on them. Yeah. And they're kind of going back and forth. And he's like, well, I'm going to be developing a GE. So it's, it's interesting that a uh, big company like GE is working on that same same idea right no, there. No, humor, humor really works. It really does. You know, they say for, more funny means more money. So um, that's, that's what it, the one I, want, one I want to work on the most. That's great. So and now back to the strategy, um, moving away from the funny, I suppose, is when you talked about how maybe a, a shorter or more digestible or an agile approach towards a strategic planning process for a company is it's it's more, I guess, readily adaptable to CEOs or mid-market companies. Uh, do you have a certain type of process that you propose or any sort of basic overview of, you know, how you how you do it? Yeah, absolutely. I- and I advocate anything, you know, doing some sort of a strategic planning exercise is better than doing nothing. I've developed my own um, strategic, you know, agile process that I call the 90 second business plan. Uh, and it's it's not 
developed in 90 seconds. But what it is, is it's a way of having the CEO and his or her team distill their thinking into uh, an elevator pitch that they're st- of their strategy that they can communicate in 90 seconds. So it's taking all of their thinking, all of that stuff in their head. Um, and the way that it works is I take them through each of the different parts of their business and pulling that all together, figuring out where the gaps are, figuring out what they have and what they know, what they understand, mm-hmm. figuring out what they don't know, where they need to get more information, more resources, more insight, um, and, and diagnosing those things and then pulling that all together into uh, an elevator pitch for their strategy that they can communicate in 90 seconds. And it's been very effective. Um, and it's also very, you know, digestible. It, it, it's something that can be done in, in about 30 minutes or an hour. And it at least gives the, the CEO a framework for where to begin in terms of thinking about their strategy and where to go next. Right. So I'm going to try to stay true to your format here and, um, I'm going to introduce uh, one of your uh, more trusted advisors here, and uh, so I'd like to introduce uh, Laura Finney, who uh, is the the leader of uh, Laura Finney Enterprises, a professional and personal training and development firm. Good morning, Laura. Good morning. How are you? I'm fantastic. How about yourself? Doing great. So maybe we'll start by um, just having you introduce yourself and tell us what you're up to, and tell us uh, you know how you how you know Soini. Uh, okay, I am Laura Finney, the CEO of Laura Finney Enterprises. We work specifically with personal training and professional training for entrepreneurs and support staff in corporate. Those who are specifically looking for leadership training and a two-year career growth plan for the companies that they work with and or for entrepreneurs who are looking to try to take that emotional development within themselves to the next level. I met Sayini. It's been almost 10 years. <laughs> yeah, can't believe it. It's been like a decade. <laughs> right when she was in the middle of that marketing plan she was talking about and uh, worked with her as her virtual assistant. Uh, came out of corporate after 34 years as an executive assistant and realized that that is where the hole was for, you know, professional development in um, the corporate environment. And so after working with Sayini and just learning a wealth of information uh, from her, as well as some other uh, corporate uh, friends of mine and entrepreneurs that I decided to just take the leap and have not looked back since. Yeah. Great. And so, will you uh, share a little bit about your experience working with Laura? Yeah. So it's funny when I was thinking about uh, the format and you know, part of the reason why I've have the second segment of the show where I have my CEOs bring on people from their team is I think that that for me is really inspiring. Um, the relationships and how people support each other in business, you know, these, these, um, quiet, but determined acts of kindness and support that happen between people in business every day that I don't think we really talk about much. Um, is really important to me. And, um, you know, I, I have always, you know, felt as though, uh, it was important to me to have a good, a good assistant. And I've seen other professionals that I admire and they have, um, their assistants who just really 
back them up and like keep them grounded and have their lives work, not just their businesses work, but have their lives work. And I've always wanted to have somebody like that on my team. And um, my my current assistant couldn't be here today because she's very, very sick. Um, but Laura um, worked, you know, with me and then, you know, she spread her wings and decided to go off and start off. She started training um, executive assistants because she was that good. Um <laughs> Thank yeah, you. no, she was that good. I mean, and and one of the things that, you know, as an aside, I'm babbling and scattered a little bit. But one of the things that I, I always remark is when people call me and say, your assistant is fabulous. And that happened consistently with Laura and it happens very often, almost weekly with Angie. That's when I knew I had somebody good. Uh, and um so, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Laura just spread her wings and, you know, flew off and now training other assistants and working with CEOs, et cetera. Great. And so, Laura, can you maybe elaborate a little bit more on the, the type of training that you do and sort of the, you know, the expertise uh, that you bring? Sure. We work specifically with um, leadership training and soft skills, so to speak. Um, that is the foundation. Sieni was talking about the mindset earlier, and I've always coined my work is mindset madness, uh, because if people can get out of their own heads, we can move forward in no matter what areas of our lives we're trying to excel in. And I think that is the um, obstacle, uh, not just entrepreneurs, but average individuals face every day, almost daily uh, in getting up and making it work. So I like to challenge people to step beyond the norm of what they want, take their psychology just a couple of notches up. Uh, look at life on the brighter side and know that no matter what, there's also something positive that's going to come out of it. So we work with leadership. Uh, a lot of people use that word loosely, and many people are afraid of it. Um, so getting them to understand that leadership is really leading yourself, uh, because then others will follow. Um, and it'll also make your job a lot easier uh, when you know how to communicate effectively with people, which is also a form of leadership is well as inspire individuals, which Sieni was, you know, awesome at, which is what made us great, you know, great working companions together is that uh, she has a brighter outlook and a way of just taking it to the next level. She doesn't stay in the status quo, so to speak. So it's a great pleasure to work with people like her, as well as um, one young lady I'm coaching today who's with a Fortune 500 company. We're working on her two-year growth plan uh, for her career, if you will. Most companies are looking for that now. Years ago, three, four decades ago, we would go in, employers would tell us what their growth plan is for us. Now the trend is, is employees are required to come up with 50% of that themselves. So they're not getting much of it from the corporate structure anymore. About 25% of their um, training comes from corporate. So you're working with uh, people to develop a growth plan, like a two-year growth mm -hmm. plan. Mm -hmm. Maybe walk us through. I mean, we're a couple of strategists here. We're interested in, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the details, of course, and sort of, you know, what are the, the elements of that just, you know, broadly or? Uh, each one is individual. Each one, there, nothing is cookie cutter with me. I take each individual as to what their needs are. And for example, this one particular young lady that I'm working with uh, in a corporate environment in Chicago, 
Uh, she's ready to move forward. She's been stagnant in her career. She's in uh, human resources and has been excellent, but she is her own obstacle. The fear of moving forward, um, staying behind the desk, not looking forward to growth and management uh, because you can only growth is lateral and she doesn't do lateral real well. So, you know, we're trying to move her beyond that. And what we've done is we've taken her resume and created like a short novel. And then we break it down to what are the key points that really, really work for you in, in your job. You know, people get asked that question, do what you love. But most people really don't know what they love. The standard answer is, oh, I like helping people. Or, you know, I want to help people grow. But what does that really mean? And even in HR, you break it down to numbers. Everything is analytical. So, you know, she would get frustrated about, I don't know, processing 1,500 interviews in a year, which is a lot for one individual. Um, but I had to remind her that you're not just processing people for a job. You're giving people their lives back. They can afford to pay rents and bills and mortgage and have a lifestyle with family. You have to go beyond the four walls of the office to see the real impact that you're making within the careers that you have. So we start there. And then we, you know, decide within the next three to four months, which normally is to just apply for jobs you would never apply for. I make them uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. I want you to apply for that next level management, even if you don't think you have the skills to get it. So you're pulling people out of their comfort zone Absolutely. as a matter of routine, it sounds like. Yes. Right, right. And you said something interesting about the <clears throat> how companies are now relying on employees to mm -hmm. develop their own growth plans. Is that, you're seeing that a lot? I mean, are, do, do you have to, do you find it, it's more kind of pushing companies to do that or are companies pulling the employees to, to provide them? It, it's standard. It's becoming a standard in, in large corporations because uh, companies don't have the wherewithal these days because they're so focused on growth. Um, the human potential in that is they will give them roughly 25% of what they need to make it within those organizational walls, if you will. Those opportunities are there. That other 25% comes from self-development, if you will. And then that 50% comes from the employee themselves, have, meaning that they have to literally have a track of where they want to go, how they're going to get there. Let's just say someone in accounting who starts out invoicing. In two years, she should be in management. And that's what companies are looking for. They want to see that on paper from their employees. Yeah, great. So now uh, back to your experience with Soini. Mm -hmm. uh, Soini was describing sort of some of the evolution over the past uh, 10 years or so and how she uh, had, had been working in strategy, strategic planning and, and found her way into uh, CEO exclusive radio. Um, were you a part of some of that uh, evolution and sort of testing the uh, you know, different ways to grow the business? Well, we definitely tried a few things there. And some of the things were really, I thought, very successful. Um, one I'll never forget, um, we did the um, Passport to Success ah. theme, uh, which I absolutely loved because I love fun stuff. I, I bring the humor in almost everything I do. I don't know sometimes how to take it out, but... Um, I thought it was extremely successful. And the first thing seen, he said, well, I'm looking for more business from it. But I also look at what that means today, let's say, opposed to five years ago. You know, where did that, you know, has there been any traction from that? 
So being able to work with her and just be able to tap into her mindset of how business really works, how strategy really works, um, because I am the person who sees the bright side of everything. So I need those analytical people around me to say, hey, wait a minute. Have you figured this out? Have you figured that out? And she's really good with that. And so I'm going to ask you both the question, uh, what makes a good CEO assistant relationship? We'll start with you, Laura. Two people in my life of a career of working almost four decades now, uh, there's been two people that I've worked with side by side in management and assistant relationship that have made an extremely great impact on my life. And one was Sieni. She doesn't know that. So she's one of two. We won't tell her. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other was a manager I had when I worked for a global media conglomerate. And what made these relationships great is that they focused on us being on the same system, meaning that when we worked together and we were working on either productivity or sales increases, we were on the same page, not just, you know, information to and from, but in the same training. So we understood, I absolutely understood where they were coming from every step of the way, what their challenges were. I didn't get the information after the meeting. I was in the meeting. And those things make a big difference because the translation of that to someone who's not there is a bit difficult to grasp if you really don't get the full picture. So for me, those, those relationships are great when the CEO looks at the assistant as a business partner and not as an employee. Right. Something's always lost in the translation when yeah. when they're not in the meeting, basically. Yeah. Okay. And Soyini, over to you on in terms of what makes a good CEO assistant relationship. Uh, I think for for me, I um, I think knowing the personality of the person I was looking for, uh, it was important. I went through. Uh, I lucked up with 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 Laura, um, but between Laura and Angie, I had to go through seven people. Um, that was painful. <laughs> it's painful. Uh, but I, um, really wanted somebody who, uh, beyond self starter, but could really has this almost intuitive ability to kind of get into my brain and understand what I want without me asking for it. So if I had to tell either Angie or Laura every single thing I want at every single step of every single every single thing I ask them to do, it it just wouldn't work. And so uh both of them I think are really gifted in intuitively understanding what I I want and, and executing it without me having to explain everything, which I think is great. And then they both have this intuitive sense of like the right level of, um, of authority to take. So they don't overstep their bounds, but then they're not too passive where that I have to tell them to do everything either. So, th- and, and I think that that's more art than science. And I, th- it's probably a function of their experience because they're both very experienced executive assistants. They're not new. Uh, so I think that was very helpful as well. Um, and then the final thing that I, is really important to me um, is I felt and feel like they, that my assistant or assistants take an interest in me personally. Like they are for me, you know, not for the business or for the job or whatever. They are, they, you know, they have a real, I feel like they really have a stake in my success, both personally and professionally. 
Oh, that's great. Um, very thoughtful answer. I'm, I always tell the story. It's, it's sort of an obscure reference, but <clears throat> there was a movie uh, several years ago. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's called The Smurfs. Anyone who has kids <laughs> has seen The Smurfs, but I think it has Neil Patrick Harris and Sofia Vergara in it. Uh, but it's obviously a kid's movie, but one of the the adult theme in it is the Smurfs and Neil Patrick Harris are trying to make his boss, Sofia Vergara, happy. And she says in the movie over and over again, <clears throat> you know, don't give me what I ask for. Give me what I want. And so part of the, the theme of the movie is uh, the manager is trying to figure out what the boss really wants because she can't articulate it herself. So I, I always <laughs> and, and that's, that and that's horrible, right? Like I should be able to to say and you know do that and tell them. I think it's a more universal and, theme than than a lot of and, folks. And everything, uh, but I'm, I'm horrible. So I need somebody who's you know just short of psychic, <laughs> you know, just, just short of being psychic. Um, <laughs> Not over the line. Though. Not not quite, because I don't want them to hear everything I'm thinking. <laughs> that would be bad. That would be very bad. Uh, but just enough. Okay, and so back to the um, the spirit of the format of the show. Um, I'd like to ask if there's uh, anything new or exciting happening uh, in your practice that you want people to know about. Yes. So on Wednesday, uh, we're going to be doing a live broadcast of CEO exclusive from the Vistage Executive Summit uh, that is happening in in Boston. Um, and we did a live broadcast in Atlanta. Um, that was phenomenal back in September. And so now we're doing one in Boston. And I do hope that everybody will, will listen and tell their friends. And tell us a little bit more about the Atlanta uh, meeting and like how many interviews did you do? And I mean... How many people were there? That that kind of thing. Uh, I'd rather talk about Boston. So sure. Um, so we're expecting, I think, about 250 CEOs in Boston. Um, it's going to be an all-day event. Uh, probably between 20 to 30 interviews, 25, you know, 30 interviews throughout the day. Um, the broadcast is going to be from 8 to 3:30, 3 3 o'clock, 3:30, depending on how long our interviews go. And yeah, it's going to be really exciting. It's from the Westin in Waltham. Wow, that's exciting. Yeah. That's great. All right. So um, anything else uh, going on with the show that uh, that you're excited about? No, I think, uh, Stone, we celebrated our 30th episode probably, I think, maybe two or three weeks ago, which is a big milestone. So we're just, you know, kind of here chugging along. Really excited. That sounds great. Sounds great. And the, in terms of the, the people that you're uh, going to interview at the Vistage, is CEOs, middle market companies, all different types of companies, that sort of thing. Exactly. So, Laura, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This is very exciting. I like and, the idea of this. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, Keith, thank you so much for being our guest host as well. Well, yeah, I, I appreciate it. Yeah. So, any other, um, anything you want to say before we close the show? No, just want to thank my listeners and thank Business Radio X for giving me this opportunity. So, I really appreciate having you guys on my team. Sounds great. So, um, uh, Sweeney, thank you for uh, stepping over to the other side of the table uh, to be interviewed and having me in as a guest host. And uh, thank you to the listeners for tuning in to my interview with Sweeney Coke today. This is Keith McNulty signing off for CEO Exclusive. Have a great day. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at AnonaEnterprises.com.